I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was about the Amazon outage on December 7th. And we drilled in to not blaming Amazon, but looking at how the outage impacted people globally and how hyperscalers are being treated and how these outages can be avoided or understood and you know what people who are impacted and companies who are building on top of cloud providers can know going forward. Incredibly important discussion. And we really took a classic cloud 2030 approach for it, which was understanding the impacts, understanding the market and looking forward. I know you will enjoy this discussion. I, I would, I had assumed that we would talk a little bit about the Amazon meltdown um, and its impacts, but I'm happy to talk about other topics for, before, as, as in, in the 10 minutes before we, we dive in on the scheduled topic. I'd, I'd like to talk about it even just for a minute. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to talk about it because, um, somehow cloud companies are going to fail more than on-premises IT. Um, because I think that's stupid. Everybody fails. And if anybody's going to fail more often, it's likely to be on-premises IT. It just may not be as comprehensive an impact. Even for the company, it may not be as comprehensive an impact if they fail on-prem versus if they fail in, in total in cloud. But, um, and I'm sure there's some good reasons, some good explanations somewhere, but I just can't find them, is why our primary organizations like Hertz and Netflix and others who should be poster childs for developing solutions that cross boundaries within Amazon, cross boundaries as in zones, um, and Amazon themselves Many of their own internal applications for running their factory <laughs> floors, uh, their their warehouse floors were impacted. So, are they ar architecting poorly, or was their failover not um, working effectively? Um, uh, and why haven't we heard that from anyone else? So, so can I, I? I'd like to actually put a comment on that. Um, I. I disagree with you, right? Okay. I, I, right? I don't think the way cloud service, um, hyperscale cloud service providers like AWS, Azure and DCP, I don't believe they're architected with the same kinds of redundancies that what I see in private cloud um, deployments in, in, for example, major financial institutions. Um, there's, frankly, they spend more money, right, on their infrastructure on a per compute per storage base than the uh, than the than the hyperscalers, and they get something for that money, right? And quite often, what they're getting is reliability. Um, so I'd I, I, you know, I'd respectfully disagree with you that that the that the that the that the infrastructure deployed in um, hyperscalers is just as reliable as it as as architected to be just as reliable as as it is in um, particularly highly regulated industries like banking and healthcare 
on, you'll on, be disappointed. Huh. You'll be disappointed uh, to learn that the first time you disagree with me, you're not actually disagreeing with me. Um, um, because I agree, <laughs> I also agree with you that in many cases they are architected better um, for individual applications and in individual environments. And in certainly in some um, high critical environments like banking, but I've been around enough enterprise IT departments to know that the vast majority of them don't know how to own their data center anymore, any better than a 16 year old knows how to own a car. Right. Um, and the average 16 year old, obviously some 16 year olds are exceptional and they own cars better than their dads do or their moms do. But, um, the, the most IT organizations don't know how to own their, their data centers very well. That being said, we make a lot of assumptions that um, we, the royal we, I believe anyway, make a lot of assumptions that because Amazon, Microsoft, and Google are so big and have so much money that they can provide so much centralized focus on issues of things like security uh, and distributed resiliency um, and data center design strategy and failover strategy, et cetera, that they can spend more on any one of those things than any other 10 large enterprises can sit, spend on it combined, let alone individually. So we assume that that means that they're always going to have a better product. Are we assuming properly? Have they, have they diluted as they've grown beyond their ability to hire and maintain uh, you know, like uh, what happens when a restaurant goes from one to five restaurants? It's the exception where they maintain what everybody loved about the first one in the next four. Is yeah. that happening in cloud? I don't know. Um, but, but, but taking taking that analogy, yep. it would be saying that I have I, I, I just grew to five restaurants, but I only bake bread in the first restaurant. Is is I mean, so part of what we're saying here is that. And this is to me the, the question of scale is, is we assume that economies of scale are always positive and that Amazon has scaled up. And so they're, they're, the fact that they have 10x the number of engineers working on this problem is, you know, 10 times better. And, so, and what they've actually done is because of scale, they've got a hundred times more complex problem, potentially. And a much broader risk impact for any one of those people making a mistake. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, and a much more diluted knowledge of one specific of any one specific component. That's that's a great point, Klaus. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, especially by design with with the their their small teams philosophy. I mean, Sorry. I mean, I mean, I mean, Rob. To your point, um, I've seen I've seen extremely productive five or maybe 10 engineer teams mm -hmm. i've seen completely dysfunctional and basically useless 50 engineers team 50 engineer team. <laughs> and certainly by the time you get to 500 it's almost you know i can guarantee you it's useless um great well, and I, don't, I don't know how it applies in every industry but i can tell you um with certainty in the pharmaceutical industry because i spent five years working at one and, and got very intimately familiar with their research and development costs and, um, and their staffing models, et cetera, is that there is zero evidence in the industry that having more scientists means that they get more blockbuster drugs as a percentage of spend. And does that, does that relate to this? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. 
I mean, but um, uh, I have to believe that that we are what I would am beginning to believe that we're seeing more than um, than what the outside shell of each of these companies would indicate that there is some diluting um, uh, and if their own systems will fail uh, uh, and they can't ship product out of their own warehouses, et cetera, because of their um, environment being down, then what's, what is really the opportunity for the individual buyer of their environment? It dropped considerably. Yeah. The value of that environment, particularly after reInvent and, you know, what you and I were discussing yesterday with respect to private networking, yep. who in their right mind would now, as a large corporation using AWS, would now go and say, yes, I want you to be my provider of choice for networking with five nines and failover and reliability and all of that wonderful stuff, whether it's in a single environment, a multi-instance environment, or globally. They're just not going to do it. And the question that I have is, if it was truly a network outage, where the hell is your triangle of, you know, one leg fails, the other two kick in? How do you how do you start immediately recovering from that? And why isn't that obvious to all of us within the industry? We should know that cold, that if one instance goes down, the other will pick up networking or Otherwise, it shouldn't make that difference. It, I agree with you that the challenge I see, and I think this is an industry-wide challenge from a cloud perspective, and I think Amazon, because they're drinking their own Kool-Aid so so aggressively. Deeply. <laughs> uh, deeply. They've drunk deep. Um, they, they assume that services are up and available. And so there's a domino chain of, I assumed my service was five nines reliable and I built on it and it was always reliable while I was building on it and you can't take it down to test it and figure out what would happen. I mean, we have the same problem with electrical utilities, right? This came up Don, when we were talking about the green, yeah. uh, green data center stuff, you know, it's not a matter green data center motivation. Isn't going to be that I save energy. It's actually going to be when the power suppliers can't keep up and they have to shut data centers down on a regular basis that will actually get to efficiencies. Um, but I think this is a problem with, with, with cloud architectures writ large, is that they are designed on the assumption that cloud is a utility, because that's what we were sold. And we keep learning that cloud is not a utility, and utilities aren't utilities from a reliability perspective. They, they want, they want um, conflicting messages, right? One, we, yeah. we pick mm -hmm. on the phone companies. Why do we pick on the phone companies? Because it takes them 36 months to do a new project. Well. Guess what, guys? As much as we all laugh about it, I laugh about it, I complain about it, they've been forced to do that type of activity for 140 fucking years. That's what they're expected to deliver, a never-fail network. Well, you can't be called a utility and then say, oh, I get to deploy stuff in three months, and if I don't like it, I remove it and deploy it again. That's not how utilities work. That's like, oh, I've took, I, I brought electricity to this new neighborhood but I decided that route wasn't good. I'm going to take it down and do it again another way later. It doesn't work that way. So you, well, can't, have it, you can't have it both ways. But remember that every utility that's built is not designed for uh, 
for uh, full usage. It's designed for a certain percentage at any one time by a certain right. segment of its right. customers. And that's yep. why uh, you know, phone systems or um, power grids or uh, gas utilities fail generally um, in a lot of cases is uh, because one part doesn't work properly then uh, and or other uh, certain percentages of their customers try to go to full capacity and it shuts the system down and uh, overloads it. So, but uh, and, and that, cloud providers, same problem. Yep. Yeah. And, and that, that's also a good segue in, into the, the other issue with utilities that, I mean, we, we've, we've had experience with, with power utilities is that they are, we, we design them or we, we design our infrastructure to be able to handle local outages. Like, again, if, if one of my HA pairs fails, I have to the one to, to, to catch up. But hardly ever do we design for a full outage and then the necessary ramp up after that. And the ramp up is important because we can't just open the fire hose on, on a cold boot. Uh, and that so looks like guys, it was at play in, in this in this outage, based on you what you guys the, familiar with the bandwidth alliance. The bandwidth alliance, you guys familiar with that? Oh, I have uh, heard yeah. about the bandwidth alliance. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, in in a very uh, generic sense, it's it's the different major CSPs attempting to not charge each other, or at least um, regulate in some way uh, the charges of uh, uh, network throughput between them and to organize it a bit so that their customers don't leave essentially, but also so they don't um, uh, overcharge each other and to organize it in some way. But one of the side effects of it um, is um, the discussion has started of, well, how do we, how do we regulate the amount of data that goes between us? You know, we're going to regulate cost mm -hmm. somewhat by this, this rough, uh, organization? How do we regulate the, um, the amount and timing of data? Um, it's very similar to OIN, the Open Invention Network, where the lawsuits got so ridiculous uh, for the trolls and the other various lawyers going after the big tech companies that they started saying, screw it, we don't want our patents anymore. Somebody save us. Um, kind of in a legal way of doing the same mm -hmm. thing, that it's not organized enough um, and recognizing that it has to be organized in some way, otherwise we collectively fail. So um, I, I'm not sure there is probably going to be a solution because um, uh, I think the, the competitive nature of uh, managing API operations um, and mm. the engineers, the specialized engineers that support that um, is going to who can hire and organize and build those better. Uh, much like how OpenStack started to win, I think largely because of that capability, um, I think will win in the industry in the same way. And those that can manage those will uh, survive, and those that can't will go down when the utilities go down. Anyway, personal opinion. I, I like I like where you went with that. I'm thinking. Um. Because there is a question of when the market dynamics kick in, um, and either that or regulatory, right? If you have, you know, planes that can't fly, or you know, groups that can't deploy because um, 
infrastructure wasn't available, then you then then we're we're putting an interesting place. Either the you have to own your infrastructure and your supply chain effectively, or you're you're going to say that the things that you depend on must you know must be you know like the phone companies. It was nine one one, Mark, to your point that drove people saying, all right, this you know we rely on these these phone networks to, for emergency services, and therefore they have to be reliable, and that imposed regulation. Um, I think Amazon skirted, as far as I could tell, they skirted disaster with no casualties and no, you know, fire response problems that I'm aware of. And something like that. I mean, Joanne, you were talking about uh, people being locked out of their houses. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, th this was bizarre. So imagine it's like literally minus 10, 15 degrees. It's snowing, it's black, and you can hear, literally hear bricks being thrown through windows around the neighborhood because people couldn't get locksmiths fast enough. They had kids outside freezing and they couldn't get into their homes. And where's the mechanical failover for something like a ring deadbolt or an Alexa, you know, failover for open my damn door or what do we have to do now? Well, well, and, and and also look up the number for the locksmith and schedule them coming out. Right, right? exactly. That's, but that's, you know, I mean, it, it was it was insanity to listen to this. It was heart wrenching. I mean, I ended up at one point. I heard people like a couple of houses down um, where I I know them, and I said, just come to my house. You know, like stay until you can figure it out. And we ended up jimmying a garage door. Like okay. literally removing the lock from the outside, disabling the uh, power and uh, so forth. I mean, it's good to have an electrician handy in my house. So, you know, plug for kid. Uh, that being said, we, we ended up getting them in, but their thermostat was affected. So their heating was off. There was no gas coming in. All the smart metering systems had been disabled. Why? Because they had a way... Apparently, um, uh, like Enbridge Gas and, and PowerStream have ways where you can add your metering to your Alexa. And they literally couldn't make it work. So you turn on a tap, there was no water. And this went on throughout the night. So I know there were a lot of people in this area because this happens to be like a little mm -hmm. high tech hub of people who were stranded. And that's no joke. You're 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 bringing up something that is that I hadn't really thought through for the impacts here, is that Amazon was down, so all of these services that were riding on top of Amazon were down, and so they couldn't do their recovery, correct, bootstrapping until Amazon was up, and so it wasn't just Amazon. Yay! I'm all, the board's all green. Once that occurred then these other companies could start their recovery. And so there was added lag. And then you might have follow on services because the way things are built, we have companies that depend on a SaaS that was down that <clears throat> that could have taken them down. And, and you could actually have a three level or you know, four level deep chain of services that have to get restored before you're at the end of the line here and can actually get back in, back in business. Well, well Oh, sorry, go ahead. And that's assuming you don't end up with something with a whole bunch of cross dependencies like a real application right. would, 
right? Where, you know, you're, you're going to end up in sort of deadlock situations where, you know, you can't deal with that. I mean, there is, I mean, there is a requirement in the banking industry, um, you know, that everybody refers to as Appendix J, right? Because it's the Appendix J of some big, long, horrible document, right? Which is, (laughs) which is, I've lived and breathed it for years, which is essentially, you know, you have to have a, a method, right? To reboot the bank, right? From a, from a, you know, a completely destructive cyber event, right? And, and it's, and it's a regulatory requirement. It gets reviewed, it gets practiced, which I think is, which was what was missing here. Right. And, and, and I can, and I can vouch that they do this because we help, we help banks do it. That's yeah. this exact need. Right. Oh, I mean, God. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this is, this is actually one of the fantastic use cases for rack end to, to say, I've got these bunch of computers doing one job, and now I need to go make them do like a super critical job. And that other job isn't any, isn't important anymore. Right. Yeah. Because I'm in this, I'm in one of these cyber events. It's a fantastic use case for it. Sorry for the plug, Rob. No, no, no. Uh, that's why, that's, that's why we eliminate dependency. That's why we have um, no external dependencies in what we built for these circumstances, but, but, but we watch everything else we do and it's but, not that simple. But, but the banks and institutions that really care about reliability practice failure. I would argue that, you know, you know, does Amazon, does, does Azure, does GCP, do they practice, you know, yanking cables out, right? Right. Do they do chaos monkey events, right? We, we actually talked about this on, the, on, on Tuesday, you know, that, that uh, very few people actually do that. Well, they do it at certain levels. Um, and, and this is the problem with a lot of providers of any service that they, they do some level of chaos engineering. but uh, they don't do it for the really expensive stuff. So they don't like eliminate whole racks and rows in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. and, this, or, this is what I mentioned earlier too, right? Yeah. The, the, the practicing that the local outage versus the cold boot. And uh, Joanne, I see your hand is up. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, where, where I find, I mean, I've worked in pharma production, uh, pharma manufacturing, and also high tech. In high tech, uh, all of the EMS providers, whether it's like uh, J-Bill, J-Bill Flex or Celestica or any of the majors, it, it is part of their certification process, whether, you know, the 9000 series or their ITIL, they have to practice network down because the information that goes between factories and they're running seven days a week, three shifts a day internationally is what do you do when? And it's always about the network. It's not about a, a specific system. Like they don't care if an ERP goes down because they have MES systems, PLM systems, all the other uh, sort of uh, design engineering manufacturing shop floor on completely separate networks. And part of part of what I see about to come back is what used to be called Aventus, right? That was IBM's private network. If you were using um, a mainframe or had any product, you had the opportunity to join that network. Walled garden, absolutely. Incredibly secure, absolutely. Trying to get your own piece of equipment into that fire, into that um, walled garden, next to impossible, no matter how good your business case was. But what it had was the failover and redundancy needed 
by every major enterprise around the world, not necessarily in transactional systems, but definitely in manufacturing ones. And if this is where Amazon is trying to go, epic fail, number one. Number two, the complexity of managing that is going to be inherently chaotic. Yeah, call it monkey or whatever else you want. But the premise of that architecture of simple triangles being set up around the world that one fails over to the other is going to come back. It's not only going to come back in the private clouds, but I could see a migration path from, let's say, cloud native apps who got caught in this um, miasma called AWS going off and trying to do that as well. Um, because it's to their advantage to do it. Whether it's the connected home issue that I was highlighting before, or the enterprise architecture that somebody's designing where they're trying to put mission critical systems into a cloud situation. And what about between the clouds? I mean, I think one of the most interesting points about this is how serialized is this networking versus how domino-like is it? Can you literally separate one of, you know, my favorite new word, nodem, from the other? Because the nodes within the nodem, little fiefdoms or kingdoms, whatever you want to call them, should be able to be disconnected and have their own failover. To me, that's just SOP for architecture, but maybe I'm the anomaly who thinks that way. Got a couple of hands up. Uh, Rich was first, or John? Okay. I think Sean was first, but um, I guess my question then becomes one of, uh, well, one of regulation and how do you consider an AWS, a GCP, um, an Azure, are they, for example, subject to the kinds of regulatory constraints and controls that a common carrier does? both for transportation, electric power, and the like, um, phone, phone service. And it starts to enter into something that you touched um, uh, a little bit ago, Don did, was um, the notion that there is a kind of a base level of, well, call it SLAs, beyond which it then behooves the customer to add guarantees and assurances and the kinds of added value to that base level in order to approach a level that they consider useful and, and valuable for their own operations. Uh, it's a very touchy area because I don't know of anybody that could actually claim that they knew how to set those levels for a common carrier that is a cloud service or cloud infrastructure. You're, you're actually crossing into the, the topic of the day. Um, Sean, you have your hand up, but I was going to, uh, uh, after you, I was going to toss it back to Joanne to 
talk about 12 manage a little bit because I, I feel like we've actually been having the conversation that we'd scheduled to have <laughs> anyway, but I, I was hoping Joanne would ground us in the in the 12 manage after Sean. I, 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 was, I was just going to mention the uh, real quick the um, the fundamental reason I believe why a, a lot of the industry um, the computing or uh, the computing infrastructure industry um, is not well equipped to handle outages is uh, kind of simple. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it is the lack of frame relay um, or the, the experience of using frame relay and, um, and uh, kind of the, the fundamental reason why TCP and UDP existed in the first place, just the lack of understanding of fundamentally why those protocols exist and how they were originally designed. They've been so heavily tweaked and modified since their their inception um, that uh, most organizations built on that engineering just don't fundamentally understand it. Um, so, if Ed Horley was here, he would tell you this because we're not using IPv6. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah! But, yeah, but. <laughs> Separate discussion. So, I'll, I'll get Seth Schoen to join us and we can talk about IPv4 <laughs> versus V6. Because he's he's actually the one who's debating in uh, uh, ITF uh, um, reinstituting uh, or uh, repurposing some of the original non-routable before, I, which is causing heartache. Yeah, that would cause me heartache. <laughs> I heard that. Well, it's, it's a good tilting at windmill exercise. It's like, well, why are these non-routable? It's like, because they're not, it's not a good reason <laughs> actually having a discussion. But anyway, separate discussion. I have a question. Yeah. Is, is, are, are the um, hyperscalers part of um, OPEN? Oh. Because, you know, I've been looking a lot at their, at the architectural models that they're putting out with respect to digital twins and to factory floors and whatever. And I haven't quite got my head around why they wouldn't be using some of those models to prevent a situation like AWS just had. All right, OPAN is... Um, oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, my okay. Bad. Okay. Dyslexia kicked in. Sorry. Got it. No worries. That makes more sense. I Googled OPEN and I got the older person's <laughs> advocacy network. No. <laughs> Which maybe they should be. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Is that a Freudian slip? <laughs> For many, many of us? <laughs> I have a lot of empathy on that. Oh, dear. <laughs> I think I this is we've 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 covered this ground a lot. Um, not that it's not. Uh, I'm not not saying that as a um, because we've already covered it. But I, I think it's a sort of re recurring theme in these discussions, which is how little the hyperscalers want to participate in collaborative group collaborative work. Right. Um, and 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 should they? You know, should they be? pressured by one means or another, either the their customers, especially their big customers after an incident like this, yeah. or by um, treaty organization, 
which is exactly what has happened with the uh, with telephony and the ITU. And not that ITU is such a you know sterling organization and that, that I would you know recommend to anybody, but it serves a purpose and it has done a pretty decent job over the course of the last certainly the last 40 years. Well, it just seemed to me that, you know, if if it's happened with Google, it's happened with AWS, eventually it'll happen with Azure as well. If these organizations start jumping into the fray of developing a model that works, it's it behooves them a to do so because of their customer bases. But if their customers start pushing them to do that, then you might not have the same situation arise depending on the class of customer, right? I mean, you could tear off those classes of customers, you know, megalith, monolith, whatever, whatever, down to the, the small companies that use little instances like we do. And even the consumers that are now, and, and I just got a, a text message from somebody, their Eero network, their mesh network is still down. Their mesh network is still down? Oh, no. Their home mesh network, yeah, because Eero didn't recover. At, well, Amazon bought Eero, right? So it's now an Amazon product, and oh. they cannot get their connectivity to work back up. Do I know how to help? Answer, yes. Go to a different ISP. <laughs> <laughs> Where Eero is not the supported uh, device. But irrespective wow. of that, you know, back to, to the, the idea of using some of these models, I don't understand with with some so many billions of dollars or trillions of dollars now being transacted across these networks why there isn't to Rich's point regulatory or treaty because it was global. Yeah, if if I I just say if we can't figure out how to regulate um the problems with uh Instagram, Facebook um and uh, um, Twitter, and I, I guess there's a couple other platforms around free speech in the U.S., which is a huge issue and it crosses a lot of different lines. Um, if we can't figure out a, a, a box to put that in and how the FTC could possibly regulate something like that, and I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying um, there's a, a un the unable... Um, and the political regulatory class is unable to figure that out, um, what box to put those things in. Um, yeah. doesn't look like it's going to be solved anytime soon. Um, but uh, if we can't figure that out, then getting into um, something similar to a treating um, uh, GCP, AWS, and Azure like a telco, um, that's, that's a really hard since there's no virtually no engineers, or at least very few engineers, and in, in, uh, in at least the U.S. Congress, federal Congress, um, so it's uh, a I, hard issue. It it is a hard issue, Sean. I mean, it. it um, uh, I don't know. There might have been Rich might have been there. I'm not sure. Um, uh, Rob, I can't remember if you were at Cloud 2030 or Cloud 2020 back in 2013. Sadly, I missed it. Yeah, but um, uh, one of the takeaways from that session, um, back when everyone just assumed that 
that Amazon followed closely by Microsoft um, would um, own the cloud space, which isn't too far off from what's happening. Mm-hmm. I wrote a blog about the duopoly and suggested that um, we would run into issues of forced regulation, not associated with necessarily what's happening um, right now and turning them into a utility, but forced regulation because of the global financial impact um, associated with any one of those cloud providers being down, especially as more and more government functions and and finances uh, are transacted over them. Um, And so the reason for the blog wasn't to say that they should or shouldn't be regulated. The reason for the blog was to say, we really can't afford to have just a few companies in that space because one, either they become regulated and they're no longer innovative and they cost more for less of a product, or we, um, we have a, a, a more distributed risk in a wider range of players where innovation can continue to occur and price competition can continue to occur. Um, but there's much less impact if any one of them happened to be down at a, at a given time. This raises the whole issue of, you know, what is the community that has enough of enough power and enough will to to put the pressure on these, uh, these organizations. And if you, look back to the siloed versions of electronic mail, uh, mobile telephony, which I don't know if folks remember the fact that you used to have to uh, go through all sorts of gymnastics in order to make your wireless phone work for you when you were in it area that wasn't served by your local um, mobile service. Uh, The whole notion of roaming didn't really exist. Um, If you look at the early 80s when electronic mail based on the the PTTs and the um, value-added networks, they were all trying to uh, obtain dominance and and market uh, ascendancy by, you know, not interacting well, not interworking, not interoperating well with their their compatriots. And at a certain point, um, what happened was the large industry organizations, and I was part of a couple of the efforts there, uh, basically got together and put the gun to the head of the uh, value-added networks and said, if you do not solve the problem of addressability and interoperability for electronic mail, we're going to pull our we're going to pull our business to those that do. And that changed the tenor of interoperation, interworking amongst electronic mail services within about two years. And that was the closest I've come to seeing enterprise and um, because they depend upon it, uh, take the the reins and basically put 
the pressure on the service providers. And I think we're almost at that point now, or at least we should be. And you're touching on it. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I just want to say, Rich, to your point, I know that there's something in NAFTA 2.0 that talks Mm. about this, but I know that there's also legislation that I think was the offshoot of the agreement that is stuck, stranded, maybe even abandoned in the U.S. Congress. But there was, I I remember reading about this and, and having an opinion about it at the time, that Canada's digital charter was going to run contrary to what the U.S. legislation that was talked about as part of NAFTA would propose. So I don't know if that's true. Don, do you know? Because if you're in banking side, that would definitely be part and parcel. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't, but I'm going to go find out about it now. Sorry, my head is filled with, you know, useless trivia, but um, I I see this as being part and parcel of that agreement because I know that there was a big discussion about not only um, uh, transporter data flow, the the version X, uh, but also the need for um, financial constraints to be limited so that companies on the Canadian side of the border couldn't sue a U.S. CSP to the degree that they would have been able to previously without that um, uh, new modification to uh, transporter data. Like you could have, you know, a Canadian company could sue a US uh, CSP or US headquartered CSP for billions, whether it's a retailer or anybody else, um, just on the fact that they were down for X number of hours, couldn't transact business loss, blah, 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 blah. Sue them in Canada or sue them in the U.S.? No, a Canadian company suing a U.S.-owned CSP on Amazon, right? They're headquartered in the U.S. as opposed to the Canadian subsidiary, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the U.S. parent. So because of that, there was going to be legislation around all of these things uh, coming from the U.S. side to limit the, the liability, but from the Canadian side on the privacy and also transported data flow. And I know it's enough to somewhere I just have to dig it out. I'm going to go find out about that because that's a key. I mean, that's a sovereignty issue, among other things. Exactly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But to Richard's point earlier, and to put sort of a fly in the ointment, right, you know, the cloud service providers are going to fight tooth and nail against anything that they perceive as regulatory oversight of their business. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I actually don't care who I buy my electricity from because you know, it's just electricity, right? There's no differentiation between that and, and, you know, and any other commodity and they're going to resist anything that commoditizes their business. Well, yes. And my point was the fact that the quality of the service that was being delivered by, in this particular case, the electronic mail services was unacceptable to such a great degree 
both in terms of connectivity, interworking, interoperation, that uh, basically I went to all of the major technology uh, interest groups like the American Electronics um, and American um, Aviation and basic and as well as the American Petroleum Institute as matter. Those were the three bigs. And I basically went to all of them and said, you're suffering under this problem. You have the ability to push for this kind of um, level of, of service. And if you gang up on them, they're going to they're going to cave and they're going to cave early on. And that's exactly what did happen. It was not regulatory. It was not government. It was not common carriage it was, you know, who was writing the checks and their displeasure. I, I think you're kind of uh, focusing on the solution to these kinds of problems is that there's um, you need to. Um, uh, there is a problem. Um, or when, when there are problems like this um, in the industry or in a business, the solution needs to be found by somebody who understands and can solve the problem. Um, the FTC is not the place. Um, they, they can deal with broad issues, but the, um, the people that are appointed to the FTC in similar organizations, um, sometimes they'll have some of the skills, but their ability to solve a problem is extremely limited. Um, the uh, groups that can solve the problems. Absolutely are agree. So engineers. It, and it's in and in this particular case, it's the organizations that were feeling the pain and also paying the bills. So that's yeah, sure. That was that was the that was the solution at that point in time. I don't think I'm going to press for that exact approach if I took it this way and if I took a look at it uh, at the whole cloud service provider issue uh, where are the lines being drawn what uh, what are the levels of demand how do you how do you define what is um, is a standard of standard of care if you want to think of it that way for by the CSPs it's it's a tough one, and and well, think think about the 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 um, the impact of the request um, or the the yeah the request of solving the problem that the organizations that you're talking about made to the providers yeah. is saying we will hold withhold money from you and go to your competition if you don't do X and that uh, was somebody like the FTC can't do shit. Because all they're going to do is, at worst, they could clog up the courts exactly with a bunch of uh, court cases that the judges are going to be saying, "What the hell do I do here?" Exactly. <laughs> I don't know, I don't Which know is, what any of this stuff means. But that's so, that's exactly yeah. why you know this is where this is where you know industry where enterprise actually does have to you know pick up pick up the stick or pick up the mantle, whatever, whatever implement we're going to talk about and actually make some of the right things happen because leaving it to an FTC is not going to work. You know, banking on NAFTA 
uh, only indirectly helps solve the problem. And that's because once and again, it's an issue of liability and what kind of financial risk the CSPs are under when, uh, when it gets resolved. Somebody's jumping in right away. I'll just say Gaia X must be excited about the news. Yeah, I think Gaia X has its own <laughs> its own fish to fry, right? About oh, they the do. Island. They they definitely have their own problems. But I mean, if if anybody's looking for um, a, a scapegoat to to drive attention and and interest in the project, um, what happened with Amazon is a is a potential um, great example. Uh, and again, I know Sarbjeet, you've just joined late. And we're not just picking on Amazon because of an outage, but rather the type of outage mm -hmm. and the seeming um, uh, widespread impacts, regardless of, of design or um, origination of uh, or you know application owner. In this case, many of the applications impacted actually belonged to Amazon. Yeah, actually, I was. Um waiting for the analysis to come in and I, mean, I still really don't know what exactly happened but i knew that some um data plane was hit as well not only the control plane if you will i think control plane going down is still bad but it's not as bad as the data plane going down like when you have the vms running or some stuff so your storage you can't get to your data you can't get to that's really bad thing as compared to if you can't spin up new instances of uh, uh, VMs or can't launch new um, serverless um, stuff. Yeah, maybe the serverless is, is, is an exception in this case as well. well <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it was, they, they had issues where, yeah, you couldn't log in. I mean, it's control plane, yes, but there's actually an auth, an auth, an authentication plane. You want to say, um, that was down cross region. Yeah, when everything is going through the API gateways and the, those things become bottleneck, right? So mm -hmm. who has access to what data in S3 buckets? I mean, that goes through some logic somewhere. If that thing is down, you can't get to your data, right? So it is getting complicated, really complicated. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> I would say those horses are already out of the, out of the barn, but yeah. The, the challenge, I, I actually, maybe you, you could shed some insight. In it. And I'm, I'm assuming we're going to put 12, talking 12 minutes specifically back on the back burner. Joanne, so we'll, we'll coordinate. No it. worries. I, I do think we're talking about the topics. It'd be interesting. To, I'll just need to have the discipline to start there, and then we can apply the frame. But um, I, do, do you think, Sarjeet, that, I mean, we've known US East 1 was a choke point and risk for Amazon. That's not an industry secret. Um, and so a lot of people weren't surprised. Do you, do you think that even knowing, like with this result, that they, they can, you know, what do you think it's gonna to take to unwind that, that dependency in their architecture? I, I think they, they need to have the, that unwind mechanism, you know, how they recover from something like this. I think they routed a lot of 
a lot of the requests to other regions, and I bet they are replicating a lot of uh, identity management and API access and some core you know, services in other regions as well without telling us what is being replicated. We are told as customers of, the, of their cloud that Every region is very independent, you know, so totally independent, they, t- they tell us, but I don't think it is. And and this incident proves that because they routed a bunch of stuff to other regions um, so that those API gateways can serve, even though the data is sitting in region, the east region, but the west was serving them somehow, right? So it can, we know that. It's just at the end of the day, it's APIs. But their, I, their, I own, think- their own services depend. Like I, I was trying to do some configuration on, um, there's my, there's my trucks. Um, the, on, and, and there was a, I think their, their caching management, the, the control plane for the cache, their, their caching fabric, which you have to interact with to do all sorts of ENS naming pieces was, was US East one and was out. The caches still worked, but USC's I couldn't make changes to it. Um, yeah, they, they are eating their own dog food. I mean, they are using their own services as well. And <laughs> yeah. there are so many two pizza teams out there. You know, that was my sort of gripe um, um, or what my complaint um, about like how they are creating too many services and people are hopping under those things and without knowing what will happen. If, if that thing goes down or how primitive a service is, like the degree of primitiveness, you know, versus how many layers of abstraction they have put on top of it. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, these are long discussions about architecture. Like I think more abstraction you put on anything, less portable it becomes, less fixable it becomes in the future and you don't have much uh, control over it as a consumer right and that is ultimately to me the question that is everybody should be asking and i don't think anybody has an answer for is of the services that you're using what's their dependency graph behind the scenes look like and can they even know and you know that goes for a for a lot of things, I mean, including a lot of the application software and infrastructure uh, infrastructure management software that we're all dependent on, you know, looking at our dependencies is um, is a is a big deal and and probably something that we should be obligated to do somewhere somewhere. Quick question, and I apologize if I don't if I'm just not clued in yet. Um, are there commitments by anybody at AWS to actually do a postmortem on this and uh, deliver some sort of uh, detailed analysis of the of the failure? Have they made any announcements? Have they made any commitments? I haven't, uh, Rich, I haven't seen anything. I haven't looked really hard, but I haven't seen anything. It's ironic, um, and it's a little bit off topic, Rich, but this also goes to to Joanne's question. Um, one thing I have heard is, um, and I, I made a also made a comment in the chat window, if anybody cares to look at that too, uh, it's related. But um, one of the things I've heard from four or five people that I've talked to who were impacted was um, 
yeah, this uh, um, failover region stuff sounds good in theory, but um, what's not so um, uh, easy for them to consume is the fact that um, building active, active applications that are distributed globally um, are easier with much larger scale and for specific types of applications. Gmail, as an example, where you can send somebody's profile around. If their email is a little bit delayed in updating, it's not even noticeable to the average customer. Netflix, because you don't have to give every sign-on and profile to every location of every database distributed around the world. Not necessarily easy. Cassandra building for that was hard, is my understanding. But um, what people find is that it's really hard at enterprise level to build that kind of distributed active-active app. And if they don't build it active-active, they're effectively using one application in one place and having a whole pile of other applications sitting doing absolutely nothing but being paid for somewhere else. And um, very few people did that in their own data centers, and they can ill afford to do that in the Amazon data centers. And it would appear to the original point that Amazon had some of that uh, very problem with their own applications. Sure. And, and yeah. which, is, which is fine, except for their marketing, that they are smarter than you, and they invest more in it, and therefore they, they can... They can operate at a better, at a higher level. Yeah. To, to answer the question which was asked, like, are there any, did we hear anything about like what they will do a postmortem? I haven't heard anything, but I have tweeted a couple of times that I think we should call these things a cloud quakes, <laughs> these outages. <laughs> so we could put a, like, a, you know, at the richer scale, we say it's like 8.0 or 7.0. We can give some sort of a rating to it, like what kind of outage it was. I think we need to do that, like some sort of like analyst communities and stuff like that. Seriously, I'm, I'm not joking. Um, I know you're laughing there. You know, uh, but I, I know I know you're not joking. And there's a part of me that loves it. And there's a part of me that thinks that we're going to end up with um hurricane chasers the way you know, cloud, know. cloud cloud <laughs> quake chasers the way we uh um, yeah have hurricane chasers there are already- actually we actually we already have one and his and <laughs> and his uh and it's um uh what am I blanking on his name uh our, but there, there are quite a few actually there are quite a few uh, uh, they are like that you know Cloud yeah, but, chasers, you can say, but but what I was also suggesting, which is a more practical idea, is that they should. I think they should do a press release kind of press release kind of thing, um, um, not press release the where you know people can ask questions, you know, live discussion like what happened, what's happening. Um, people were just guessing for you know almost eighteen. Or 24 hours almost like what happened what happened will i will my application go down will we go down so the, people shouldn't be guessing like that i think they need to come out and do some uh, q a kind of stuff um during these kind of outages um i, I think um, that should be a standard protocol for major csps going forward it would be nice if they did better better than average in the industry i wasn't the case since it on Tuesday, but yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This time they didn't do a good job. I think they in, in the past they did. Maybe they're tired from <laughs> reinvent or something <laughs> their stuff, but it was poorly done. I think. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll hear what happened. Uh, I, I, I I think again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think this fix something and the urgency to get, uh, you know, those those are two separate. I know people want real time information, but having been in those situations, it's uh, hard. And we are we are five minutes over, so we're we're losing people. For yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm going. No, on. Okay. no worries. It's always Guys. good to have you. Yeah, thanks. Was, and talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right, Cheers. ciao. Have a nice day, guys. One of the things I love about Cloud 2030 and our discussions here is that we're able to take daily events that in a lot of cases we've predicted and been watching for and think of them in very practical terms, things that are actionable and that you can take forward. And that means that it's a good discussion, but we need more voices. So please Join in. We want to hear you and and have you join these these conversations at the 2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.